Welcome in to Cue the Memories, presented by Coors Banquet here at Kowloon Restaurant in Saugus. I am your host, Eric Russo, and we are so happy to have a pair of Bruins legends, Jerry Cheevers and Derek Sanderson, here with us tonight. Thank you. So we will, we will get to that hospital story later, but I want to start off with our hosts here at the Kowloon. Jerry, maybe you can tell us a good Kowloon story from back in the day. Well, first of all, the Kowloon was our first stop, first stop. <laughs> On the way home, most of us lived in Linfield and, and Danvers and up that way. But uh, Bobby and Andy really treated us first class and their food. In fact, I'm trying to talk them into going to Florida. I live in Florida. There's not a good Chinese restaurant with 20 miles. Yeah. So I'm trying to talk them into going there, but we also stopped there. And you only stopped at places where people treat you, you properly. And they were, they were excellent. Till this day, they're excellent. And, uh, and you want to hear stories? I, I really can't tell. My daughter's here, by the way, Cheryl. <laughs> if I say something, it, it was an accident. It, wasn't in, it, it was usually Derek that, that did those things. But, uh, I learned a lot of shit. <laughs> but we... Um, it was a stop on the way home. Uh, we had great team functions here. As far as stories that would take you out of your seat, I, I, I can't remember. It was pretty straight. The fans were, uh, the, the, the Kowloon people took care of the fans and really didn't, um, you know, let them bother us and all that stuff too. But I think that the only thing I can possibly say that makes sense is that the Kowloon was, was, a, was a nice place for us after games, and, uh, and, and you know, we, it, they just treated us so good. And, De and Derek, we know you're enjoying some Kowloon food my, right now my, on yeah, the stage. Yeah, well, I tell you what, those uh, the crab rangoon that rangoon, that crab wow. <laughs> That's terrific. Just supposed to be a snack, but he brought out, uh, yeah, but he brought out a whole bucket. Uh, no, Kowloon story? Yeah, what do you got? I was... Uh, a different type of... Uh, I didn't cross the bridge. <laughs> I was downtown action, and that was it. I, uh, I figured all the action was in Boston, I'll stay there. And so I built Daisy Buchanan's, and I stayed there. That's uh, why there's more kids named Derek in Boston than anywhere. <laughs> you know... Tell you what, a lot of people are used to the name Derek. When I was little, God, I hated that name. It just was, and my mother was a Scot, and she had, she had older ours. I, so, I, Derek, and I used to say Derek. And, and, and in grade, first grade, second grade, people look at you like you're weird. Derek, what's that? And I thought it's my name. And I, well, I tell you what, pathetic, I hated it. Dexter, Darwin, Dirk, Dirk. They never got it right. No one spelled it properly. They spelled it like an oil derrick. It's spelled D-E-R-E-K, and it's Gaelic, and it means ruler of men, kingly. <laughs> my, mother, my mother never named me. She didn't name me Derek for that. She didn't want my name to end in a Y. You know, Bobby, Petey, Sammy, Freddie. I'm going to call you Derricky, right? So. And, and, current, and current Bruin, Derek Forbert, is named after yes, you. Yes, Derek Forbert. 
Good kid. Good kid. My, uh, he's my number one. Uh, he's my number one Bruin. So, well, he was named after me. So we met and we talked to each other. <laughs> so let me ask you this: After fifty years, are you, after fifty years, are you sick of talking about Bobby Orr yet? Can I ask you about him? Is that all no. right? No, uh, Bobby. Bobby was a big part of our lives. Bobby was, uh, you know, I remember Eddie Jockerman said to me. Uh, Hey, we'd beat you guys if we had Bobby Orr. I said, well, you don't have Bobby Orr. We do. <laughs> and that was what everybody did. If you didn't have Bobby, you wouldn't win. Sorry, we got him. That's a true story. It, like, yeah. oh, you guys wouldn't win if you didn't have Bobby Orr for Los Pizzito. I went, stupid no shit. <laughs> I said, you're not telling us anything we don't know. Oh, I forgot. I can't. We, we can't use bad words. I... Don't don't in, don't interfere with the applause. Let that okay, yeah, yeah. let that flow. Yeah. That's all right. We can let a couple bad words slip yeah, here I and there. That's this all right. is, yeah. Bad words? Like, no, we're, no, not me. We're really altar boys. You know. <laughs> but so, talking about Bobby, excuse me for a second. Uh, we all know what a great hockey player he was, and I'm sure you've heard this many times. But better than anything, and the most important thing about Bobby Orr was and is. He was a great teammate. Great person. Great person. Great person. Great, great citizen. And, and the ultimate, ultimate teammate. I remember, I didn't say a cash. In fact, we're all getting together this weekend, which is great, from 50 years. Bobby Orr scored a goal. We were talking about the Rangers when we beat them 3 nothing to win the cup. And uh, Cash had got the puck, retrieved the puck in the corner and got it to him. And Bobby let a wrister go, and it beat Villamir, who was in goal. And they were, they were celebrating the goal, and Bobby said, great tip-in, Cash. And Cash looked at him. He said, no, no, that was a terrific tip-in. Cash says, I was in the corner. <laughs> he says, but take the goal with you. I really don't want a goal in this thing. <laughs> and that's the, type of guy, that's the type of guy he was and is. T yeah. Till this day, right, Turk? Yeah, he was... He was really magnanimous. He was as good as, as good as it gets. He's the best superstar, I, I think, the most complete superstar that I've ever met. On the ice, off the ice, with people, with kids. Uh, he's terrific. He, he cares. He's always been like that. He's been like that when he was 16. Uh, that, you know, so he's it, just one of those things. Does anyone remember Bobby Orr's first game? No. <laughs> it was against Detroit. And Detroit had, and you can ask Derek, a guy that tested rookies. His name was Gordy Howe. So early in the first period, Bobby goes, and I was in goal on one end. I, I forget who was in goal for, for Detroit. And Bobby goes down the right side, Crozier. circles the net, makes a pass, and he's sort of admiring his pass. And Gordy hit him with an elbow, a 10. He went down like a ton of bricks, got up quick, and one thing with Gordy, and Derek, Derek tested him, too, in a game in Detroit. you got to answer what Gordy did to you. If you don't answer it, you're not going to make it. So it was a very close game, and it, I think it was a tie game at the end. But Gordy's coming down, and we're, every one of us said, what's Bobby going to do? He has to do something. Gordy Howe, what can you do to Gordy Howe? You take your eye out in a minute. Not a whole lot. And... and, and <clears throat> And he give you a right, the hook. And with a minute left, Gordy comes down. It's a tie game. 
comes down right wing, makes a, a shot on net, and he's about to circle, and Bobby Orr laid him out flatter than a pancake. <laughs> that was the end of Gordy and Bobby. But that's, that tells you what he knew, what his mentality was, that he had to answer that. Not, and we're all sitting there, Turk, if you yeah. remember this. We're all sitting there and saying, boy, he's got to do something. There's a minute left. It's 3-3. Three, three. What can he do? Laid him out like you've never seen. Tell you what, he was, he was a lot tougher than people ever thought. Oh, he's a, Bobby Orr is as tough as... I don't think he's ever lost a fight. I don't, I've, ne I've never seen him get beat. I think Keith Magnuson beat him. <laughs> no. That was, that was the, a three-rounder. That was one of the worst beatings you've ever seen. Keith Magnuson. Anybody remember Magnuson? These are hockey fans, Turk. These are yeah, hockey fans. Yeah. So, so Keith was one of those kids. That he was just a fiery, get involved, couldn't fight a lick. I mean, I, I don't know why he tried. He was 0 and 58. <laughs> and he would come out, and, and anyway, he went after Bobby one night, Center Ice Chicago. Bobby beat him so bad that he was bleeding uh, over both eyes. And then he says, Oh, you want to fight, do you? They said, He just gave you a beating. What are you? Magnus went right back at him again. Bobby beat him again. Cut under both eyes, forehead, mouth. He's covered in blood. And, and Bobby, and, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. Jesus, crank kid. So anyway, he comes again, and they have a third rounder, and Bobby's on the bottom. He's hitting him. He's actually stopped hitting him. He says, Derek, if he gets up, you take him. I can't lift my arms anymore. <laughs> Boy. Derek, didn't, didn't you and Bobby have some battles in junior as well? Yeah, we had a couple. How'd that go for you? Well, I knew I was going to hopefully play with them someday, so it wasn't, wasn't any animosity. But that was, everybody talks about the fight where the Bruins, they were dead last for six years. Six of the, well, they were fifth one year, but most of the time they went back to sixth. And Wesson Adams Sr. really did a terrific job of building this team. He built a dynasty. It would have been a ninth with Bobby York and the rest of us that came. He built it. It was... Uh, what killed Boston was the draft in 68. I mean, you know, that draft came out, and we lost Rick, uh, McLeish. We lost Reggie Leach. We lost Brown. We lost uh, all sorts of players that were really terrific. were stars on other teams. And it would have been, a, I mean, a dynasty. It would have been seven, uh, ten years. But uh, the draft came and killed it. But uh, where was I? <laughs> You were talking about battling Bobby and Junior. Oh, Bob, yeah, Bobby, yeah. Derek, Derek has asked that question most of his career. Where were you? <laughs> yeah, I just followed the guy in front of me. I didn't know where we were supposed to be or whatever. I never talk about fighting, and Derek won't say this, but one of the reasons we beat the Rangers one year, we go into Madison Square Gardens. I, I forget what the series was. But they had to come after Derek. I think yeah. we were up with him. But, but their goalie, who shouldn't have said a word, Jacobin, challenged him in the first face-off. And Derek fought three guys that night, the third one being Orlis Curtinback, one of the toughest players in the yeah. game, and Derek beat the Six heck foot out. five. <laughs> Six five. Derek, Derek used nothing but uppercuts. Yeah. And, and Derek beat him to a pulp. And I think, I think, and uh, 
That was why we, we won that series. I tell you what, it was a good series. No, it was a good series. Well, uh, anyway, back to where we were with Bobby. So my dad, my dad's one of those dads that really, like, loved the game. And, you know, they did a thing in Canada. In Canada, McLean's is Canada's Time magazine. And they did a survey in 1954. The most respected profession in Canada Doctors were second. <laughs> hockey players were number one. So my dad said, well, that's it. My boy's going to be a hockey player. So he was really involved in my life. And Derek, your said, dad, excuse me for one sec, he saved your stitches. Oh, yes, he did. He actually saved his stitches. He saved my first 400 stitches. Yeah, but he was the one. Harold, I'll never forget him from Niagara Falls, 10 minutes from where I lived. A wonderful man, and he, he loved his son, obviously, but he loved him being a hockey player. Hey, Turk? Oh, yeah. He loved that part of it. Anyway, so what we did is we had the, uh, the Boston Bruins were, like I said, struggling dead last. And Weston Adams Sr. wanted to show the fans that we've really got good players coming. So he brought Bobby Orr and the Oshawa Generals, and, and there was like eight of us, nine of us, that played in Niagara Falls. And Boston owned both teams. So they had an exhibition game. So we're all ready to go. We're all, you know, Boston Garden, this is great. So we're ready to pull the bus away from the rink back in Niagara Falls. And zoom, skids up. There's a yellow station wagon, a banana yellow station wagon, 55 Chevy. There's my dad. <laughs> and the coach just was livid, right? And he said, Derek's your father. So I went, Dad, what are you doing? Jesus Christ. He oh. says, well, son, I was giving him a thought. Never slept last night. Thought about it, thought about it. What's the best thing for you to do? He said, they're going to remember two people in Boston. Bobby Orr and the one who beats them up. <laughs> so I was going to jump Bobby before we left, but <laughs> we got there. It was a wrestling match. It was just... I had to do it because I told my dad I would, but it was, it, I didn't have, it was, we just wrestled. And uh, it was, it was. It that was, was on a Friday night at Boston Garden. Yeah, I, went, night, I was with the that Bruins. That night after the game, we got to watch the Bruins game. Yeah. So we went to the Bruins game, right? And, you know, you guys have known the old garden, right? The trough they had. <laughs> they didn't have, a few ladies, they don't have, they didn't have any urinals, they had a trough. And everybody's standing along the trough. And so, and then there's this guy, he's, he's going to the bathroom, and I, he says, he leans over, he says, hey, you're that Sanderson kid. You're the one that fought or. I said, oh, can't believe it. It did work. <laughs> I said, Dad, you're right. That's all I cared about. Didn't you, didn't you make a bet with Bobby about who would be married well, first? You know, the loser was the loser was the one that got married. <laughs> See, no one remembers that part of the story. So when Bobby got married, he and I said, okay. And then I, had, I owed him $1,000. So I gave him 1000 So I got $1,000. Now, I only made seven. Right? That's a lot of money to give out of you. So he had, I got all ones. So I went down to the bank, got all ones. <laughs> then I got $100 and $100 in pennies and a wheelbarrow. 
And after practice, I walked up Bobby coming out of the shower and I dumped it all in front of him. So there you go. There's your thousand. How'd he take that? Yeah. Well, now he's good. He's probably good natured. No, he's fine. We used to tease him a lot. We used to take a lot of, yeah, but he's good. Some, someone asked about it earlier. This is sort of a Bobby story since he was sort of in charge of it, but tell us the hospital story with, with Espo. I'm sure some people have heard it before, but it's always a classic. Uh, Derek's going to, I was in Cleveland at the time in the WHA that someone asked me about. Let's just digress to that for a minute. What was your question about the WHA? Oh, he just booed it. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> He's actually we, booing us for going there. Yeah, I forgot. Turk went there, too. Can I tell you a story about Turk and the WHA? He went to, he went to Philadelphia, to the Philadelphia Blazers. Um, what was the owner's name there? The trucking guy. Uh, Jim Brown. Yeah, Mr. Brown. Anyway, the first game that the Philadelphia Blazers were playing in an old auditorium, they give away pucks because we're souvenirs. Orange, orange because they are the Blazers. Orange souvenir pucks. So they go warm up. The crowd's 12,000 in. <laughs> Civic Center. Civic Center. They have their warm up. They go off the ice. They bring the Zamboni out to flood the ice for the game. The Zamboni goes right through the ice. <laughs> so now they got the red carpet out for the opening ceremonies. And Mr. Brown has to go to center ice and say the game's off. Because of the Zamboni went through. This is a... This the is whole what, thing. It went wheels and all. Gone. It's a box. Right, right to the bottom. There's Sitting a, in the golf as, as he's, the as he's speaking, the Zamboni's getting deeper. <laughs> and he says, I'm sorry to say that tonight's game has been canceled because the Zamboni went through the ice. And 12,000 people started throwing the pucks at him. <laughs> and all you saw was orange pucks coming out of the ice. And Mr. Brown trying, right, Turk? Right. And uh, to make a long story short. What it was, yeah, go ahead. No, no, that's okay. Well, Bernie Brown going, long story short, I was a captain, so he made me do it. Yeah. So I was the one at Center Rice with the mic going, oh, sorry, yeah. it's canceled. They're going to cancel the game, I'm sorry. And. The first one that came down, I could, it's just a blur, and it <laughs> hits the ice. Hits the ice in front of me, bounces into the glass, right? Behind me, it's by the penalty box. And I go, oh, and then boom, two, three. And I'm going, hey, hey, boys and girls, take it easy here. I said, hey, oh, stop that, boom, hey, now there's 15, 20. Now, there was, at one point, probably 150 bucks. Now, I'm dodging them, right? And... And then I said, listen, you know, you think the traffic was bad getting in here? You only got one road getting out. Enjoy it, right? And then the more pucks came, and ah. Oh. Now, I, at the end of the rink is the kid, and he's thinking about opening the door for me. And I go, come on, come on. He's got the glass. And the kid's going, no, 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 no. And I look, I said, come on. And he goes, because they weren't making the ice. They were hitting the glass on the kid's side. So he's scared to death going out there. He got he had a mush. Anyway, kid does it, and he finally takes it brave. He puts a big cardboard thing over his head, gets it, opens the door, and lets me off. But that was insane. That was The Zamboni actually came out on the ice. And we had just gotten it that day from Chicago, and no one had tested the weight. What they did is in the warm-ups, right, 
uh, with, we had flashlights. So the warm-ups, the boards were made three inches too far from the last pipe where the brine is to freeze it. So the ice went up and then went down a little bit, and then the boards come in. And sometimes the hole went all the way down. The pucks were going, disappearing. So I said to Bill Friday, I said, here's the referee. I said, hey, Bill, you've got to cancel this thing. You had the guys go in there with the, with the legs. The, the defensemen, will get, they'll break their legs. They get stuck in the boards. And he goes, oh, no, no, Derek. He said, this is home opener. No, no, no. We've got to do it. No matter what, we're going on. I said, oh, well, I think it's stupid. And I said, try to get them to fill it with something. Anyway, so you can hear it. You know how you ever walk on shell ice? Right, as a kid, right? You're walking in. You're stepping or whatever, or even when you're skating, you can hear it. It's just an echo. It's just a, you know it's not safe, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I heard this, and we're all looking, whoa, this is terrible. And out came the doors opened up, we're finished warm-up, and boom. It never made it past the goal crease. Boom. <laughs> the tires disappeared. The guy looked like, he looked like, uh, like a, a, a what? It looked like a fool, a poor guy. I felt terrible for him because he didn't know what to do. Uh, he didn't know whether to turn it, couldn't turn it, couldn't drive it. And what are you going to do? And it sat there. And I said to Bill Friday, I said, now nah, you're going to cancel it, right? you got to cancel it now. He goes, yeah, I'm afraid so. We're going to have to call this. But that was, uh, yeah, crazy night. That's the last of the WHA stories, okay? <laughs> we're, we're here... We're here because it's a centennial year for the Boston Bruins. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, and after all, it was the Boston Bruins that made us so that we were able to go to the WHA. Right. <laughs> yeah, let's not forget that. If the Boston Bruins would have paid us, we wouldn't have gone. So. Right. And, and, and Changing what, the I, subject. I was making $25,000 with the Bruins. Two Stanley Cups. I'm making twenty five grand. And this guy, Bernie Brown, comes in and offers me $2,650,000. I said, wow. I said, oh. <laughs> I should tell you the story. I actually, well, I actually turned it down, but I'll, that's another story. But tell us a little bit about that. I mean, you, you were basically a celebrity, right, Derek? You weren't just a hockey player. You had a persona. You were known know. beyond I, the I, hockey yeah, world. That, that's what they say. I, but you don't know that when it's, when it's you and it's happening. You don't know that. Anyway, so I, the WHA was, uh, the guy said, I'm here to offer you 2300000 Looks like a telephone number. <laughs> and, and I'm looking at it, and I'm going, wow. And I was actually stunned. I had no, I couldn't talk, really. And I, he said, oh, you, the money's, uh, oh, I said, you know. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared to go as far as $2,600,000. Me Give me a, a $300,000 raise in 15 seconds. <laughs> I went, holy Christ. I said, well, I don't know, boy. I tell you, that's, 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 the money's good. The money's good. But, you know, there's just things. There's conditions and uh, quality of life. And he says, like what? I said, well, I'd like a two-bedroom suite on the road for a little privacy. <laughs> And I said, oh, I'd also like to have, I'd like to be captain. I'd like to be on the power play. He says, oh, you will. Okay, fine. And I remember going through all these clauses, and I said, you know, my dad was a great scout, right? I mean, the, the Bruins are going to, he said, all right, quarter of a million dollars, five years. Okay, 
So my dad got a quarter million. So now, yeah, now we got we got all this going on, and I, I said to him, you know, and I hit me in my. So I was afraid to fly too. So it was my dad, and and I said, oh, I thought of that, and I was trying to keep him at home, so we only had to go from Niagara Falls to St. Catharines, which is 12 miles away. You know, and you can see everybody in junior. Everybody has to play there. All you have to do is go to the fire game. So he said, no, and I. Said to him, I said, you know, my dad's afraid to fly. You get a team in Birmingham, Alabama? He said, John. I said, you got one in Edmonton, Alberta? He goes, yeah. I said, how do you get there from there? I mean, how do you get to Edmonton from Alberta, from Alabama? You got to stop like 12 times, right? And he says, well, what are you saying? I said, well, I'm afraid to fly. I don't know. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. We'd appreciate you getting to as many road games as you can by train. I didn't have to play road games. <laughs> he didn't care because all he was worried about is the home crowd. Totally not hockey people. They didn't know anything of the culture. But it was, that, and I said, initial all those. He initialed them, and I said, sign it. He signed it. I said, wrap it up. I said, I'll give me five banking days. You know what a banking day is? I don't know either. <laughs> but I heard it on television, and, a guy, and he said, give me five banking days. He goes, well, banking day is the working day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right? Uh, we get to Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's not a banking day. So get the weekend. So this was a Tuesday, and we went, and I, so I, I'm a, pretty good about a week. I should sign that he did, and I went to Weston Adams Senior's home. That day after that, got in my pocket, and I felt guilty. Now, when I was 15 years old, Weston Adams Senior on the junior team was owned by a guy by the name of Hap Ems, and Hap Ems allowed Mr. Adams one pick a year in training camp, right? And, and the, uh, so I'm going, okay, one pick a year is fine, but... He always took it very serious. And that year, when I was 15, he picked me. And the owner coach, Hap Ems, did not want me on his team come hell or high water. And, you know, it was tough. I mean, and there was 134 kids at camp for four jobs. So there was, it was kind of a dog-eat-dog thing. And he picked me. And Hap Ems calls me in his office, and he says, uh, out there in the hallway, I can't understand the man. You go see him. And he says to me, you're my pick, so you're on the team. You've made the team. John made junior eight. Wow, terrific. So I owed him that. And my dad always raised me to be loyal, and I, and I could never, I mean, that was one of the, that's the best thing that ever happened to me is he picked me. So I go out there, and I said, fine. And, and now he's kind of. You know, it's good to have the Bruins on your side. I said, oh, yeah, great. And the thing that really astounded me was they were, he was so good to be, you know, and I, and I owed it to him. And I, I owed him to, to bring him the contract and show it to him. And I, I didn't know anything about finances or money. You know, only 10th, educa 10th grade education, you know, didn't know whether I was on foot or horseback, really. And I just... <laughs> So he goes and he says, uh, 
So he, when, he, when he, I said to him, I, I owe you this. You were good to me. I owe you this. I want your advice. He said, my advice for what? I said, I hand him the contract. And he looked at it, he read it, and he goes, wow. Rogues and thieves, he says. I got all this handmade china, and he's picking it off my shelves like it's nothing. And he was very, he never swore, uh, very upset. And he says, I said, well, what do you think? He said, this is your family's financial future, of course. I mean, I'm not going to pay you two and a half million dollars. <laughs> and I, I said, yeah, I know. I said, you only had me budgeted for 70. And, <laughs> and, and I wanted 80. And he said, you know, uh, they got to 75, but they weren't going to go to 80. And that's why I was holding out. That's why I was a free agent. That's why. So it happened. The guy gives it to me, and he, and he says, uh, I'm kind of sensing that you, you really want to, you're not certain about going. I said, well, it's up to you. It's your call. And he said, am I, am I to believe that you would stay with us for what we offered you and turn this down? I said, yeah. And I said, the Bruins, Boston, this is my home. It's my life. This is where I want to be. Perfect. I'm not really interested in the money. And... He said, he said to me, Derek, this is, this is your financial future. This is, and I, he said, I don't want to talk you out of it. I don't want to talk you out of it. He said, I, I tell you what, would you do me a favor? Would you sign with my son today? I said, yeah, sure. And, and, I, and, and I, he said, well, he says, uh, and, and the fight was between 75 and 80,000. And you know what he said? Under the circumstances, I think we'll give you the 80. God bless him. That's a guy's a businessman, right? I didn't. <clears throat> but anyway, I went to see him, and I went to see his son. And I walked in to see his son, and Wesley Jr., and he says, we really appreciate your loyalty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, people find out I turned this down. They'll put me in Bridgewater. <laughs> and he, so I got, the, and he hands me the pen, and there was a guy with Charlie Mulcahy. He was a Bruins lawyer, and him and I didn't get along. He's the one that did all the salaries. So I said, I don't want Charlie Mulcahy in the room. He says, Derek, we won't be in the building. I said, okay. I take the pen. I sign the D. And Charlie opens, his, opens the door, sticks his head in, and says, still think you're only worth 75. <laughs> I took the pen, threw it at him, and I said, screw up. I'm out of here. And that's why I went. And if he hadn't have done that, I would have stayed. <laughs> and it's that simple. And, you know, it's one of those things. Anyway, that was a little convoluted. Sorry about that. <laughs> we, we started that with the Espo Hospital story, yeah, and somehow we got to that. Story. Well, anyway, Phil got popped in New York. We're playing. Phil gets popped. The, the Teddy Harris hit him a great. I mean, uh, Ron, Harris Ron Harris hit him a dandy and took his knee out. So Phil's in bed. He's up with the legs up, and he's in traction. And we're coming back, and uh, it was after it was all over, and we, we're going to celebrate. And Bobby owned the, uh, what was it called? Branding iron. And he owned the branding iron, and it was across the street from the Mass General. Phil's in his hospital room at Phillip's house. And, hey, you want to go? We'll go. Right? And he's, what do you mean? Hey, come on, Phil. They, under the, they just wheeled him out of there, down. They ripped out a railing to boom, 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 down. Got him in the elevator, out the back door, wheeled him across the street, walked into the bar, and saw him a bud, and he's in his hospital bed. And... <laughs> Next to the bar at the branding iron, and I, you know, I, geez, wow, 
We all getting shit for it, but... <laughs> anyway, that was the story with the branding. How do you think you guys would have done in the social media era? Well, I'd have been in jail. <laughs> the cancel culture would have got me. But that would not... I would not have gone without knocking a few people out, though, first. Uh, Jerry, I want to ask you about a tradition you had post-game uh, where you used to sing. Tell us about that with the Beatles and how that all came about. And do you still sing? Yeah, I'd like to hear that one. I'd like to. <laughs> I actually like to hear it too. I, I don't even. <laughs> I somebody, think somebody I, fooled you. No, what? that's in the book. Oh, it is. <laughs> what? Now you gotta I, come I, up with something. I some. think it was. <clears throat> Well, he went to training camp in London, Ontario, which is a pretty live town. Once again, my daughter's here, so I can't tell it. And, say <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, um, the Beatles song. And we used to go to this bar called Campbell's in London. And it was our, uh, we used to introduce the rookies to an afternoon of cocktails. And they had a guy in, in Toronto, a great singer, Rompin' Ronnie Hawkins, you'd, you'd have to Google him, but he was five years. Anyone ever heard of Rompin' Ronnie Hawkins? Yeah. a boy, that's great. Boy, we do have fans here. Yeah. But anyway, it was also the Beatles' heyday. And somewhere along the line, we started singing Desmond Owns a Barrel in the, mar in the Marketplace. Does anyone remember that song by the group? Oh, my God, this is good. Desmond Owns a Barrel in the Marketplace and says to Molly, I like your blah, blah, blah. So the first cup we won, and we used to sing that in the bar, uh, probably after hours. And uh, when the first cup we won, we were in the dressing room in, in Boston, and all our parents were there, and we just started singing Desmond Owns a Barrel in the Marketplace. I mean, I'm not a singer by any chance. Oh, no. <laughs> Johnny won, though, me. And it was a song that sort of like, like the uh, Red Sox and the... Um, what, Caroline. Why and, is it Caroline? And, and, and never made it to that extent, obviously, but that's a song we sang, and it originated in our, and we used to train for four or five weeks, and we had Saturday sessions, believe me. You want to hear some real stories? I can't tell them. <laughs> but, uh, and that's how that, that happened, that we would sing that Beatles song, and we were there, and Ronnie Hawkins made it a, uh, an effort to put on his show at Campbell's yeah. every Saturday night, and it was rock and roll, baby. It was terrific, and that's how it happened. And I'm glad. I'm glad. Ronnie Hawkins just passed away recently. Yeah. In the last couple of years, but rapping Ronnie Hawkins, Odessa, baby. Do we remember that? <laughs> I do. So the book is accurate. Yes. Okay. Well, most of it. But most of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you about the mask. Tell us how the mask all came about, well, when you started wearing it, and then how the stitches came about. Yeah, well, well that's a story. Um, the, first of all, it was tough to wear a mask, to get one that I was used to. And no one wore a mask in those days. And gradually, the goalies were putting masks on. So I had this guy from um, Foxborough, Ernie Higgins, if uh, anyone remembers him. His son, Neil Higgins, was a goalie, and he made him a mask. <clears throat> So I had to make me a mask. I originally used a Lefty Wilson mask, who was a trainer for the Detroit Red Wings. That, that was useless. Your face would, if you get hit. 
So I had to make it where it was anchored down. So I had this white mask, and I hated white. White. Um, I, I never wore white stockings when it was away, whatever it was. I always wear black. So I never wore white. It was a to me a sign of purity, and that, <laughs> and it really didn't fit me. So I, every day I went into practice. That was a reach. <laughs> and every day I went into practice, I had two things in my mind. A, to get out of practice. And B, to decorate my mask. So this one day, we're out there, and I had this white mask on. It was driving me nuts. And the puck flipped up. And if I didn't have the mask on, it wouldn't have cut me. But I faked like I was out like a light. I'm in the dressing room. You know, did that a lot. Did that a lot. <laughs> Thanks, Dirk. And uh, Harry Sin was coaching. Come in. He says, "You're not hurt. Get out there." Yeah. Okay. So I go to back out, and our trainer, Frosty Forrestall, that there's many stories about Frosty. He was a classic. He painted some stitches over my eye where the puck evidently struck me. Oh. So we got out, and the guys had a little giggle and everything like that. Next game I played, I took one under the eye, and he painted stitches, and he painted stitches. And it, it was embellished a lot. Don't, don't think about it. But, <laughs> because I never got hit that much <laughs> for a goalie. Jerry used to stand and practice. He would lean by the one post, and there's 24 square feet to his left. Uh, and he'd have his goal stick, and he would try to... <laughs> he, he, he was pretty good with it. He used to block a lot, Anyway, that's, I got another story along that line. Um, that's the way the mask became. It's, it, it was voted the number one mask in the history of hockey. But talking about practice, as Derek said, trying to embarrass me. <laughs> we had end up first place. Don Cherry was our coach for the Bruins. We had, he was great. He was as clever as they came. We had eight days off. And he said to me, I don't want you to practice. I said, why? He says, because you ruin my practices. You never stop anything. <laughs> I said, I said, well, I can't take eight days off. He says, I don't give a shit. He says, you could be one day before the series starts next a week Tuesday. I said, I can't do that. So anyway, I took one day off and I go the next day. He says, I don't want you here. He says, you ruined my practice. I said, well, I, I got to practice. He said, well, okay, get out there. So when you have eight days off, the most you can do is, the best you can do is scrimmage. So he calls the players at center ice, and Julie Jobert, God bless him, just passed away, who was, by the way, by the way, a great goaltender for the Boston Bruins. I loved, loved play. I played with two great ones, Eddie Johnson and Julie Jobert. So anyway, we get back to the practice, and Grapes calls all the players at center ice. Now, I'm very famous for being terrible. So we scrimmage. The first guy comes down, Peter McNabb, who was a good goal scorer, boom, boom, shoots it into my stomach, puts his arms up. Next guy comes down, Terry O'Reilly, scrimmaging, boom, 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 shoots up my pads, puts, my arm, he puts his arm up. You know what Cherry told them? If they hit me with a shot, it counts as a goal. <laughs> that way... That way, I threw my gloves and stick at him, not my mask, went off the ice and saw him the next Monday. <laughs> That's awesome. So, pardon? Pardon? 
Oh, geez, you're you're a good fan. Well, this is very very simple. Some stories from the audience. We here. we didn't really exercise in those days. But a week before training camp, I used to get in my car, get an old cleaning bag, throw it over my body, turn the heat up to 90 degrees, drive around for two hours. I was in the best shape of my life. <laughs> so we only have a couple minutes left. You guys have to go meet your teammates tonight to spend some time By the way, before. we're looking forward to that. We're guys, we haven't seen the May Turkey for, for 50 years. You think of that. Like, I, I know people here who are fans of ours 50 years ago. Yeah. And, 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 and I look out there, and I, I'm really amazed what a fantastic, fantastic hockey city Boston is. Yeah. I, all right. Here we are. This is the 100th year, the centennial of the Boston Bruins. 50 years that we're going to celebrate tomorrow night. Excuse me, you have a couple Stanley Cups, and you people are here tonight sort of honoring us, and, and, and that's just fantastic. What else can I say? No, I tell you what, it's a, it's a lot. We, fans meant a lot to us. We didn't, like I said, we didn't make a lot of money. We had a lot of fun, but the people Which were means good. On the way out, a little donation wouldn't hurt. <laughs> But go the ahead, people sir. were good. Uh, the fans were great. Uh, they would let you go maybe seven, eight minutes in the first period, you know? If you're a little slow coming out of the gate, okay, that's it. Bro, wake up. And they used to shout it from the gallery gods. Now, those gallery gods, whoever, they, certain people knew just before a face-off it got quiet. And that's what a guy yelled out. The whole garden would know what the guy said. That was amazing. And they were right on top of you. You could look up and see them. Yeah, it was a great place to play. It was a great place. The to old play. Boston Gardens? Yeah. Greatest arena I've ever played in, the yeah, old Boston without, Gardens. Without question. All the old original six rinks are the best arenas to have ever played you know, hockey. In. I was known to go to the racetrack a little bit. I don't know if you guys knew that. And, and I wasn't a great goaltender when, with our team because, because we scored a lot of goals. And I used to let in the odd bad goal. And, and that, what Derek was talking about, you could hear everything, and they, they were genius about when the play stopped. Oh, yeah. And if I let in a bad goal, I could hardly wait for the next whistle because <laughs> they yelled down from the top, Cheevers, who did you bet on tonight? <laughs> and I remember one time, we're playing an expansion. We're playing the L.A. Kings. L.A. Kings, the first year in the league, and, and, and I would never ever think of betting on, on hockey or anything like that, but I knew, no, I would never do that. I would, I, we were three and a half goal favorites. That was usually. That's a lot. Again, that's a lot. And I, I, even I couldn't let in that many goals. To cover <laughs> the, so. Not easily, anyway. We're winning five to one with 15 seconds left, and some guy from L.A., Flipped the puck like this. It hit in front of me and went in the net to make it 5-2. Every guy in Boston laid the three and a half. <laughs> and I had to skate down the middle of the ice off the ice. And I said, what am I going to do here? So I got about halfway to the other end, to the Zamboni end where we come out. And I, I thought they were going to kill me. I really did. 
and uh, and I started hitting my my pants like this, and they and they called me in the next day. The uh, some yeah. wise guys from Boston. What do you mean by that? I I didn't mean anything. I just didn't want to get killed on the way out. I well. tell you, no, you never. Uh, just to dispel any thoughts, he never, ever, ever did anything shady never, with never. that. That was. This is a little joke aside. <laughs> Thanks, sir. Well, I know you guys have to go. We could stay here all night and talk to you guys. I'm sure everyone would like that here, but we want to thank everyone here at Kowloon. We want to thank Derek Sanderson and Jerry Cheevers for joining us on episode two of Cue the thank Memories, you. presented by Coors Banquet. Thank you.